We're in a series called Tug of War, and this is the fifth and last part of that series that we're going to be looking at this morning. And in this series, we have discussed this tug of war that we have with evil, evil that pulls us off our feet into the big mud pit that sucks us down so many times into things that destroy our lives. And the suction on some of those things is so strong that we can get caught up in things that are so uh, damaging to our lives that we can't, we can't free ourselves. We're just stuck in the suction of the mud. Sometimes those destructive things take the form of attitudes, toxic attitudes like bitterness. And we know how bitterness can just absolutely sometimes so fill a person's heart that it begins to define their life. And, and, and life becomes just lashing out because of, because of the anger, because of the rage. And those are a couple more of those toxic attitudes. There can be things like disillusionment, sort of living life with glazed over eyes, not really, sort of like a zombie, zombie approach to life. There can be deep depressions, despair, there can be hopelessness, there can be shame. Those are all attitudes that can fill our hearts and suck us into the mud. But then there are also habits that suck us down into the mud. There can be things that we, like drugs and alcohol, that really take a hold on our life. There can be things like pornography that people can get into just as a way of escape. There can be disorders that take shape in our life as coping mechanisms. There can be compulsions and obsessions. All those kinds of things that suck us into the mud. Now, as we go into this message this morning, talking about how we can get out of this mud, uh, I will say to you, this is probably going to be the shortest message in these five, uh, five messages on this topic. Uh, because there's only one point that I'm really going to make this morning. And, and this is the point. I think there's one thing far above everything else that Satan uses more than any other of his tactics to pull people into the mud, to pull people away from God and into evil, destructive things. And if I were going to put that into one word, it would be the word grief. It would be the word grief. Grief is our response to the things we suffer in this world. You know, we all face those this-isn't-fair times in life. Have you ever faced a this-isn't-fair time in your life or in the life of family and friends and loved ones? Every one of those situations like that puts us in a tug-of-war with grief. It puts us in a tug-of-war with loss, something that has been important to us or someone important to us. And you know, that situation is either going to pull us away from God or it's going to pull us closer toward God. Those are the only two directions we can go. For, so, and I know, I know that this congregation and I know that there's a good many of you, and I could probably say every single one of you to one level or another is facing a tug of war with grief of some kind just today sitting here in this room. I think it's really significant that the number one topic that the scriptures deal with, deals with next to the cross of Christ and the resurrection 
The thing that God speaks about more often in the scripture than anything else is dealing with suffering. That's the major topic. Uh, And I think it's also significant that the most famous passage in the entire Bible is a passage that deals with how do I get through grief? How do I respond during times of loss? And that just happens to be Psalm 23. And I know a good many of you can quote Psalm 23. Well, we're going to take some time this morning just to come back to this great psalm, and we're going to walk through all six verses and see how this journey takes us through. Well, it takes us, really, this psalm is a picture of life and sort of the, the passages we walk through in life. So let's take a look at it together. Verse number one. Verse number one begins on a great note. David says, David's the author, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Now that's a great statement. And what a creed that is for a person's life. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a declaration statement. The Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I will not lack anything in this life. So we see right away that David has a total trust in the Lord for everything, for his present and for his future. And, you know, and the fact that David says the Lord was his shepherd means that he looked upon himself as one of the Lord's sheep. And you know, the one standout quality about sheep is that they are extremely dependent animals. Now, you know, most animals have a lot of defensive abilities. They can get scary when they're attacked. They can get mean. They can get dangerous. I mean, they, they have teeth. They have claws. If they're an eagle, they have talons. They can roar. They can even camouflage their, their fur, their skin, so they blend into the environment. They can run. But you know what? Sheep don't have any of that that I know of. All a sheep can do, a sheep doesn't roar. A sheep, bah, is that how a sheep does it? I don't know if that's how it does it, but something like that. Sheep can't run. In fact, they stand out. They have this, all this white fur, and they certainly can't growl. That's why sports teams, I don't think I've ever heard of a sports team that took a sheep as their mascot. Have you? Uh, can you imagine the Chicago Bulls? Uh, you've seen the introduction to the Bulls games. Uh, they have this fierce-looking bull with its big horns running through the streets of Chicago, all the way ending up at the United Center. Well, can you imagine if that was a sheep? Uh, that, you know, that, I don't think that would work. I think they'd be the laughingstock of the NBA. Uh, now, David, who wrote this psalm, do we, when we think of David, do we think of him as being sheep-like? A sheep-like guy? No, David, in the scripture, he was a pretty tough guy. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was used to dealing with some of the tough stuff of life, the nitty-gritty of life. He was a great decision-maker. He was proactive, and he was firm and strong. He was a giant killer. But here in this psalm, David's, David calls himself a sheep. He's dependent And you know what? I think if we were to ask David, why why are you painting yourself so sheep-like here? I think David would say, well, you know what? All that strength that, that I may have had in my life, the ability to kill giants and the ability to do all these different things, 
If you, if you boil it all down and come right down to the bottom level, it's all because I have this sheep-like quality. It's all because I know that I am completely, absolutely, totally dependent for everything in my life upon the Lord being my shepherd. And you know what? When we boil it down, you know, uh, the Myers-Briggs personality inventory, maybe some of you have taken that inventory, well, they have 16 different animal characteristics that they use to compare people to who take that inventory dependent upon, you know, the traits that are manifested about you when you take that test. They have a beaver, a deer, a hippo, a horse, a rooster, an eagle, a dog, a gorilla, (laughs) and a lot more. But, you know, I looked over their whole list. Sheep is not mentioned. It's not there. And yet, in the scripture, God uses sheep to describe his people, to describe human beings more than any other animal. So maybe God is on to something here. That isn't a put-down to all these other proactive and aggressive qualities that Myers-Briggs identifies in us, but it is saying what David said, is that it's only when a human being recognizes at the foundation layer of their personality and their life that, you know what, we are very extremely dependent beings. No matter how great and how strong we get. I used to work for UPS. And those packages that came through UPS, you know how they're stamped fragile? Handle with care. Uh, You know what? At the bottom level, the strongest among us, the most successful among us, the greatest of our world leaders, are stamped fragile. We are very fragile. We are very, very dependent beings. And what we're going to be talking about here today a part of this journey that David leads us in in this psalm is just going to show, it's going to bring our fragility, just how fragile we are, into the picture. So let's continue. Verses 2 and 3, David says that the shepherd leads his people into the most wonderful places. He talks there about lying down in green pastures. And I did read somewhere that you can always tell when a sheep is at its optimum contentment, when they've eaten all the grass they can eat, and they just feel as good as they can feel as a sheep on this earth. What they do, the signal for that is they lay down. (laughs) And uh, so that's the picture of tranquility that David's giving us here. And he says, that's where God, he, God leads me into places of profound peace and joy, and, and tranquility in this world. And then he says, he leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul down deep inside. He guides me in a path filled with everything that is right and good. And you know, it's easy to depend upon the Lord when everything is going well and going good. Everything falling into place. It's really easy to depend upon the Lord, isn't it? But then we come to verse number four. And in verse number four, this psalm takes a very, very sudden turn. In fact, it's a very steep, plunging turn. It's a descent down into a valley. And if we were to describe what that valley is all about in one word, it would be our word today. It's the word grief. It's the word loss, suffering, an unexpected blow that just sort of comes and and strikes out of nowhere. 
And just, uh, we have uh, many families in our congregation who just in recent days even, recent weeks, have lost loved ones. And, uh, and just this past Friday, uh, Diane Richardson's funeral right here in this very room. And most all of you know Diane. And, and we have two, about two rows of her family sitting right back there. And, uh, and I even noticed that uh, the seat where Diane always sat, that seat is, is right there for her this morning. It's available right back there beside Sharon. So here's a family along with some other families. We have the family of Bill Olsick. Uh, and I see uh, Cheryl right back there. Uh, just about four, four weeks ago or so. And I know there's others just within the past four to six weeks that have lost parents, have lost loved ones. Uh, that's this valley. That's part of this valley that we're talking about this morning. And this is where it really gets tough to continue to trust the Lord. Now, here in our own village on Thursday, and many, maybe some of you have heard about this, uh, a little girl by the name of Ava Grace Reyna, three years old, uh, had a medical condition, as I understand, but I don't think it was a medical condition that her parents ever dreamt would, would cause her sudden death, but that's exactly what happened on Thursday. And it just so happens, I just learned this yesterday, that that family doesn't live too far from where we live. Uh, and um, on Thursday afternoon... Um, phone call came from Terry, who was out of town, and Pastor Mark and Alexis went down with our police department and our paramedics, who were just really emotionally shaken by, the whole, by their whole you know, ministry to this family and not being able to save that little girl, and it just it shook them up. And Pastor Mark and uh, Alexis went down there and spent an hour or so just doing some counseling and praying with the police department and the paramedics. But those are the kinds of things that uh, we're talking about this morning that happen to us in this world. It's not all green pastures and quiet streams, is it? Sometimes it's the valley, and that valley can become unbelievably, unbelievably painful beyond what we could expect. Now... David calls this the valley of the shadow of death. Now, maybe it's not the death of a loved one that is your loss today. There's lots of losses in this world. And you know what? Every loss, to some degree, will put us into that valley. And so I guess what I'm asking you this morning during the rest of this message is, what, what is the loss? What is that this isn't fair? This, I got a raw deal. What's happening in my life today? Where's God? Why would this ever happen to me? Did he forget about me? I want us to be thinking, what, what, is, what is that thing in your life right now that you, would, you could honestly say to God, God, this is not fair. I want us to hold that in our, in our attention as we talk about this valley this morning. There are emotions in the valley. Things like being shocked, and dazed and angry, depressed, hopeless. And there are also questions in the valley. Why did this happen? It doesn't make any sense. 
And then the real question, I think, a lot of times is, where is God? Where is he? And this is exactly why some people lose their faith in the Lord. This is where some people turn to destructive things in order to cope, to find some relief, to dull the sorrow and the pain. This is where a lot of people get stuck and sucked down into the mud. Now, we've all just watched uh, Whitney Houston's life and her funeral this past week uh, from, a little, from an innocent young girl, extremely gifted, growing up and sharing those gifts with the world. And you know, you probably a lot of you could right now sing, <laughs> sing some of those songs, great songs. But we also know what happened in Whitney's life. There were some blows that struck. And then how she, by her own admission, by her own interviews, talked about how she got sucked into some mud and, it was, and she couldn't get back out of it. Uh, well, that's, that's the kind of thing we're talking about this morning. This is where a lot of people will say things like this. You know, I depended on the Lord, but it didn't work. Look where I am right now. Look at what's happening. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed until I was blue in the face. But nothing changed. So I quit. It doesn't do any good to pray. Now, you know, centuries after David gave us Psalm 23 about the shepherd and the sheep, Jesus, probably thinking back to this very same psalm, told a story in Luke chapter 15. And he told a story about a sheep that got lost. And the way the story unfolds is the shepherd walked into the, you know, the sheep pen, or at the she- stood at the gate of the sheep pen, and he counted the sheep as they went in. There were 100 sheep that he had. And so he counted, and he got 99 of them, But there was one of them that was missing. Now, I think it's quite commendable of this shepherd that Jesus tells us about that he was so intimately acquainted with each one of those sheep. (laughs) Maybe he had names for every one of them. I wouldn't be a bit surprised because the picture Jesus gives is of a shepherd who knew every single one of those sheep. And at the end of the day, he knew that one of those sheep had strayed. And was now lost. Uh, And you know what? In the valley, in the this isn't fair part of life, that's where we are most easily going to stray from our faith and become the lost sheep that Jesus is talking about here. But what did Jesus do in that story? Did he say, oh, well, okay, I'll give up on that guy. I'll give up on that lady. Or... (laughs) I'm going to club them over the head because they didn't have enough faith in me. Is that what he does? That is not our Lord. What does he do? Man, he gets those sheep into that pen and he packs up and says, hey, one of those sheep is missing. One of my sheep is missing. And Jesus tears off. He's the shepherd. He's talking about himself. He goes out into that wilderness. He looks behind every bush, every tree. He looks into every ravine. He, He looks that place high and low. And he doesn't give up until he finds that sheep that has strayed away. Now, I could very well be talking to some straying sheep in this room this morning. And Jesus understands the sorrow. He understands 
he understands the hurt. He understands the pain. That's why he came into this world and took on pain himself. He even said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you forget me, Father? Have you ever said those words in what you've been going through? Jesus said them too. He understands where you are this morning. And I can guarantee you that Jesus Christ will never, 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 never forget you. He'll never forget where you are this moment. His hand is reaching out to you. He's searching for you. If you've given up, if you've given up searching for him, he's still searching for you. And he'll lead you out of that valley. That's his promise. That's the kind of God we serve. So, where is the Lord when we are in the valley? Well, verse number four, David says it this way. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can, how can that possibly be? Here it is. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff the, that that shepherd carries comforts me. So what's the Lord saying? He's saying, I am right here with you in the darkness and in your sorrow. I have not abandoned you. I have not forgotten you. I have not lost track of you. We still ask the question, how can the Lord allow unfairness and tragedy and raw deals in a world that he created? How can those two, how do they go together? You know, that's pretty much what we've been talking about in this series the last four weeks or so. We've been talking, we've been referring to the tree incident. Remember that tree incident, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what it represented. And It was at the center of the garden and our parents, Adam and Eve, they went ahead and did what God had said, hey, don't touch that one tree. You can have all the others and enjoy it. Enjoy all of creation. I made it for you. But right at the center, there's something that doesn't belong to you. It only belongs to me because I'm the one who's at the center. And that is to be able to know what's right and wrong, to be able to know what's good and evil. I'm the only one that can, can, can be in charge of that properly. Adam and Eve ate off that tree. They tried to take God's place at the center. And when they did, it just, it, they evicted God from the premises. And, and so this world as it exists today is not what God intended it to be. Uh, suffering and evil have come into our world. You can get the CDs and get a fuller picture of, of what we've been talking about there, how evil made its way into this world. But I do want to say this. When we say something is unfair, what are we saying? What are we pointing to? Well, if I say something is unfair, that means I have this idea of, of something that is fair, right? Right? You can't say unfair unless there's something that you can measure that with. And that's what, that's, well, there must be something real that is fair. And where does, where does fairness point to? Well, that points to God. Okay, when I say something is evil, what am I saying? Well, I'm measuring that up against something. I got this deep inner sense that there's a good somewhere. There's a real good. And that's why I can even describe what is evil. Well, where does good point to? That points to God. Or if I say something is unjust, Man, this is terrible injustice. Where did I even get that sense of justice 
to be able to say something is unjust. That something was put in us by a just and good and holy and wonderful and great God. And so even through the prism of our tears in the midst of the valley and the sorrow, if we look through the sorrow, if we look through the unfairness, behind all that, through that, we still see a good and a mighty and a gracious God. And all David is saying here is that when it's unfair and evil and dark and hurting in your life, God is still there. Now, there's one really important word in verse number four, and it's that word through. Um, David says that God is going to lead us through the valley. Now, through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, many people can get stuck in the valley. There have been those who've never found their way out of the valley. But David is saying the Lord is there, and if we'll keep our, our hands in his, he'll lead us up and out of the valley. Now, here's a question for you. Here's, here's a big question for you today. This is probably, maybe this is the most important question of all. How long can you keep trusting the Lord? How long can you keep trusting the Lord? Maybe you trusted him halfway down the valley. But then it gets a little shaky. Well, I want to ask you this morning, can you trust him? Can you trust him up the other side of the valley to get you out of it? How long can you trust him? Will you have an enduring faith? You know what the book of Hebrews says? It talks about uh, those who through faith and patience inherit the kingdom of God, inherit the promises of God. Faith and patience. Patience. What's patience mean? Tell me. Huh? <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> My hearing's bad. Uh, it's endure. Stick to it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. That's patience. Faith and patience inherits the promises of God. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're saying, well, you know what? I've, will the Lord even hear me? I've, I've, I've really said some mean things to the Lord here in the valley. I've really, I've really yelled at the Lord. I've screamed at him. I've, you know, I've, I've really said some mean things to him. Will he even listen to me anymore? Well, let me tell you a little story here. Uh, that, that will illustrate how many times the Lord will pick you up, okay? After you've blown it and fallen down. And it's a real short story, but uh, I was told by my parents uh, that when I was a toddler, I don't know, maybe three years old, I don't know, somewhere in that neighborhood, couldn't have been too old because I can't remember it, but they told me that um, they had a little, little tricycle for me, and there was a front porch and some steps that went down the front porch to the yard, and that I one day decided to ride my tricycle down the steps. Okay? Uh, you can imagine how that worked. I crashed. But here's the thing they told me. My dad picked me up, put me back up there on the porch, and I guess went around doing what he figured I'd probably learn my lesson. And, well, lo and behold, I tried it again. I rode my tricycle down the steps again and uh, picked me back up. Now, you may not believe this, but this is, the, this is what they told me. I did it three times. Uh, so, <laughs> and I don't know if they were, mom and dad probably sit down and had a con private conversation there, say, oh, you know, should we be a little bit concerned about this boy? You know, or is there... <laughs> but every time I did that, 
You know, not a one of those times did my dad or mom say, okay, the second time he's done that, and the third time, <laughs> let him sit there, you know, uh, in his bruises and whatever. They didn't do that, man. They, they came and picked me up. I don't think they were sitting off to the side watching to see, was he going to do that again? <laughs> uh, no, they came and they, they picked me back up. Now, I don't think the fourth time they put me back on my tricycle on the porch, but, uh, but, you know, that's the way the Lord is with his children. So if you have told the Lord off, if you've yelled at him, if you've screamed at him in your pain, I want to tell you something, and you feel like you're just a wreck laying at the foot of the steps in terms of your faith, hey, the Lord, he's going to pick you up. He's going to pick you up a hundred times. If you just turn to him with all your heart, and he's going to lead you through the valley. And you will come out the other side. He doesn't fail. The Lord has never in the history of the universe, he's never failed even one person. And, he, and you won't be the first. <laughs> he isn't going to fail you. That's the way he is. So David, in fact, he goes on in verse number five. And from down in the valley, David takes a look up to the other side of the valley. And what he sees there, verse number five tells us, is he sees that God has prepared a table, a big banquet table. And I suppose, I know there's some ladies in this church, and some men too, <laughs> who can really spread a great table. I've benefited from it too many times. Uh, but I'll, there's no one can, who can spread a table like the Lord. And that's the table that David in this valley, he looks out and he, say, he sees this big, huge banquet table. And that banquet table, I believe, represents, for those that have lost loved ones, that represents that, that great family banquet around which the whole family, is, the family circle is going to be reunited someday on the day of the resurrection in his presence. So that's a wonderful, wonderful hope to keep in view when, when we're suffering the loss of a loved one, walking through that valley of grief. Because of hope in Christ, there, there's a reunion day coming. And I said that this past week to, uh, to uh, Diane's family. And I'm sure they're hanging on to that with every ounce of their, every bit of their grip today. Uh, but you know, that's true for all of us. There's a great reunion day coming in his presence. Uh, life doesn't end in the valley. It doesn't end there. We move through it into what God has for us. And then I think for, all, for those who may be suffering some other loss, some other unfair thing in this world right now, I think what this represents is God has a future for you. I mean, you may feel like, man, this is the, this is the dead end of my life. <laughs> I just ran into the dead end of my life. There's nowhere to go from here. That's not true. I know someone that wants you to believe that's true. We've been talking about him in this series. But what the Lord says is you have a great future lying out in front of you. And I want every young person in this room, man, I want you to know that today. And sometimes young people can go through these really unfair times in this life. It doesn't just strike people once you get to be 21 or something like that. You know, it can strike, it can strike really young. God has a future 
for you. And he wants to lead you into that future, and he will, if you will not give up your faith and your trust in him. And verse number six says, makes a statement that I've always thought is wonderful. It says, um, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. In my mind, that means God has your back. Goodness and mercy, if you turn your head around and see who's behind you in the valley, uh, it's the twins. Goodness and mercy. They're right there. They have your back as you move forward. Um, And then the statement says, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What could be better? What could be a better picture of the future than that? And the same Lord God that we're going to spend all of eternity with in, in supreme joy is the same Lord God who came into this world to walk with you through your valley. Uh, And I'll tell you, he's right there by your side. So I asked you this question earlier. How long will you keep depending on the Lord? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ for the long haul? Or are you going to bail in the valley? Big question. Psalm 73. I want to I close this morning with one other psalm. Psalm 73, verses 21 to 26. This is similar. This is, a, this is another psalmist who was, had a valley experience. And this is how he expresses it. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was, a senseless, and ign- I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That's what being in the valley sometimes can make. It can turn us into emotional beasts. You know, man, I'm lashing out. I'm mad. I'm angry at God. I'm angry at everybody. And I was senseless and ignorant. And I was embittered in my grief. My heart was grieved. But then he came to this conclusion in verse number 23. He says, yet I am always with you, speaking to the Lord. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, listen to this, and afterward, after this valley, you're going to take me right on up into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And it's my prayer this morning that every person in this room, that is the creed of your life, and that you'll never budge an inch from placing your feet, placing yourself on a solid foundation like this psalmist has just shared with us. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your grace and your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who knows every inch of the valley. And Lord, we know that just having a realistic view of this world as it is, that it's not going to be always the green meadows. It's not always going to be those great pastures and quiet streams. We're so thankful, Lord, that that's a part of the picture. 
But we know, Lord, that there are some valleys that are coming into the picture too. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we will be followers of Jesus Christ who can come to a place of solid faith, consistent faith, in the highlands where it's peaceful and beautiful, but also in those lowlands, in those dark lands where it's very shadowy and dark. I pray, Lord, that we, don't, we are not just a people who have a faith in the high places, but may we be a people who have that strength and that profound faith that's even strong in the low places. And we know, Lord, that you will then bring us through and bring us on into glory, into your presence. And Lord, as you do that, our lives are going to radiate what it really means to be a Christian. Because we serve you not when it's just great and wonderful and grand, but we serve you, Lord Jesus, when it's, strong, when it's very tough and difficult too. Because we know, like David, the Lord is our shepherd. And in him, we're not going to lack any good thing. So Father, help us to have that resolve today. And Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. For these things we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen.